church. As we're jumping out, we're in the summer season, and, and this summer, my summer has been very unique, where I've done a lot of premarital counseling. Summertime, people want to get married, and in order to marry them, I say, hey, would you go through some premarital counseling with me? So going through some premarital counseling with a number of couples, and, and some of the things you do in premarital counseling is you're trying to say, you guys spend all this time focusing on the wedding, and let me help you take some time to focus on the marriage. It's a good thing to do. And so in that premarital counseling, we focus on, on a number of areas, but we, we spend a lot of time focusing on communication and conflict resolution. That would make sense in marriage, right? Anybody been married for a while? Know those two things are important? And so in, yes, Dan and Joy, you guys have been married for 104 years. 56. I was close. It was somewhere around there. And most of us assume that we are a good communicator. I mean, I speak for a living. So I tell my wife, I'm a really good communicator. But actually, when you get down to the roots of what communication is, communication comes down to first, somebody in a rational, calm mood, being able to share their feelings with another person. So that's not when you're blowing up. That's not when you're heated. That's not when you're at the end of your rope and you're throwing up garbage because you're frustrated. That is an actual, hey, let me tell you how I feel. And we think, well, that's communication. But communication actually has a second part to that. Because oftentimes what happens is your, your spouse or somebody will say to you, you know, I really wish that you wouldn't do this. And what do we do? We object. Well, no, I don't do that. Or we, we, we argue or we defend ourselves. No, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I can do that. Or, or we try and interrupt them and say, well, no, 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 no. I don't, no, you know, right? Am I the only one that does that? You guys do this too. And so, um, or... Men, this is often happens with men. It happens with women as well. Where your wife will just tell you how she feels. Oh, you know, I wish something would change. And men, what's the first thing we want to do? Solve the problem, right? We want, well, let me fix the problem for you. And she's saying, no, don't go fix the problem. I just, I want you to hear from me. So this is what we do. And this is going to be a little free premarital counseling for you today. You can write this down. This is, the, this is the procedure I have premarital couples do again and again and again, okay? One couple, or, or one, one partner, they say, honey, this is something I wish was different in our relationship, okay? So it might be, you know, Kevin, uh, I wish you would put the toilet seat down, okay? That's, that's, that's communication. And the second part of that is active listening. So instead of objecting to that, Instead of saying, I'm going to fix that, instead of jumping in, you have to reiterate the same thing in your own words. And so my wife says, I don't really leave the toilet seat up there. That's just an example. My wife says, Kevin, I really wish you'd put the toilet seat down. And then to listen, good communication says, so what you're saying is you want me not to leave the toilet seat up when I'm in the bathroom. And that is good communication. That is right there. You guys take that home and, and do put that into practice. You will see Amazing things happen in a relationship. You don't even have to solve the problem. Just listen. Just reiterate what she said. It's, it's gold, guys. It's gold. Communication becomes difficult. And if anybody knows anything about communication, Peter is a guy who knows how difficult communication can be. We've been studying the book of 1 Peter for a little bit. We've been looking at the life of Peter as well. And there's a story in John chapter 13 that I think comes down to this idea about communication. John chapter 13, Jesus, now this is, the night, this is the night he's betrayed by Judas. This is the night before he's going to go to the cross. And he's spending some time with his disciples. And he says, guys, 
Guys, this is what I want you to know. This is my last night with you. These are some really important things I want to share with you. And so Jesus says to his disciples, he says, listen, it's about time for me to be glorified. He says, I want you to listen to this. I have a new commandment for you. And the new commandment is this. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus even goes further and says, in fact, the world will know that you are a Christian, but how you love one another. Okay? So here's Jesus. The new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Now, what's good communication? That's where you're going to reiterate what he just said. But Peter doesn't kind of get this idea about communication. So verse 36, Peter says, hold on a second, Jesus. Where are you going? Here's Jesus. I've got this great new commandment. You need to know this. And Peter, Jesus, where, where, where are you going? Jesus, Jesus, can I go with you? Jesus, come on, man. We're bros. Bros before. No, we aren't going to go there. Come on, Jesus. Jesus, we're buddies. Like, I gave my life. I left my fishing business. I gave everything behind to come and follow you. And where are you going now, Jesus? Can I go with you? And Jesus says, no, you know, you, 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 can't, you can't go with me right now. And he goes, well, well, Jesus, I get like all the other disciples. Like, you don't really like them. Like, I'm going to be the lead disciple. So they stay. But Jesus, I can go with you, right? And, and, and Jesus says, no, you can't go now. At some point you will. So verse 37, Peter says, well, why not? Jesus, my bags are packed. I'm ready to go. Jesus, if this means I'm going to have to die and I can go to heaven with you, like Jesus, I'm ready. Jesus says, no, it's not your time. And so here's Peter. He completely missed the point that Jesus was trying to make. The point Jesus wasn't, was trying to make was about, there's this new commandment I'm giving you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And here's Jesus, Jesus, or here's Peter. Peter says, no, no, I don't really care about the commandment. I just want to go where you go. It's kind of, you have this idea that when you have young kids, you know, like you can't get away from the young kids. Like you're watching the, the, the one-year-old and you're like, I just need to go to the bathroom, but you're going to follow my heels into the bathroom. And parents, you know what that's like. Kids, just give me a second to do business in the bathroom by myself. But Peter is just this, this baby in Christ. And he can't imagine life without Jesus. So he's not really listening to what Jesus is saying. He's just focused on this idea that Jesus is going to go someplace that he can't go. And so then we look at the book of 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter happens 30 years later. Peter has had the chance to have his faith grow. He, he's matured in his faith. And now he's going to come back to this idea that Jesus said many years ago, this new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Peter's going to come back to this thing that he completely missed. And he's going to say, man, this is what we need to understand. We need to get what this is all about. So step by step, Peter's going to help us understand what he missed many years ago about what he was supposed to do, about what you and I are supposed to do, on how we are to love one another. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through uh, chapter 2, verse 3. And we're going to see what it looks like for us to, to grow up in our faith. What it looks like for you and I to be mature in our faith and how to have our faith grow and stretched. Now, a lot of us have this idea of what maturity looks like. We think, well, maturity is people with gray hair. You got gray hair, you're mature. 
you're someone. But Peter's going to give us a very clear definition of what it looks like for you and I to grow up, specifically in Christ. So um, here we go today. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 22. And before we start, I'm going to ask you to join me just in a word of prayer. God, just thank you for this opportunity to be here today. Um, God, to be in your house. God, to be with your people. And God, we know the church is not just a building. We know the church is the people. So God, we're thankful for the opportunity to be gathered with your people here today. And Lord, as we open up your word, I pray that you just would speak to us. That God, you would use this opportunity that you would draw us deeper in love with you. Uh, God, I pray that uh, your word would, 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 would encourage us, would convict us, would, would just draw us deeper in love with you. God, I pray that you help me as a pastor to step out of the way. That God, we wouldn't come here today to hear a pastor give his opinion, but God, we hear your word today. So God, we just pray that you allow your spirit to rest on us now. And uh, we love you and praise you for that, Jesus. In your holy and precious name, amen. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22 says this. The words will also be on the screen. If you have a phone, you can pull it up on your phone, whatever you want to do. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22 says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Here's, here's what Peter just said. He says, now, because you have obeyed the truth, because you've, you've obeyed the gospel, because you have received the gospel, you understand what God has done. And we've talked about this. This was the first 12 verses of 1 Peter. He focused on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. He focused on the gospel. He says, because, because you know what God's done, because you've been brought into the family of God, this is what you do. He says, you love your brothers and sisters in Christ in a real love. It means you love people with a real, passionate love. And he's saying, he's saying this is something we have to put into motion. We've got to actually put it into action. It can't just be something oh, we love. But no, we actually have to have action and, and, and movement based on this. In fact, this would be, you want to know what the litmus test for Christianity is? Like, how do you know if I'm a Christian or not? You know you're truly a Christian if there's a new love in your heart for people. If your love just changed from how you would normally love people to after now with God, now you have this new kind of love for people. Man, this is what Peter and Jesus says. This is how you know whether or not you are a Christian, is if you love people. And he continues in verse 23 and says, Since you have been born again... Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For because all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this was a good news that was preached to you. Peter says, because you and I have been born again, because we have been made new, because we have the gospel that has taken root in our lives, we are born again to something imperishable. Now, we understand what it means to be born into something perishable. Like for me, like 35 years ago, my dad gave my mom the little wink wink, and magically nine months later, here I appear. Like, like I was born into this life. And what happens in this life, it is, it is a perishable life. Like, there's a shelf life on every one of our lives. There's a shelf date. Like, at some point, our life isn't going to continue. And some of us are closer to that date than others. Some of us feel it every day. We feel that shelf life coming close. But we are perishable. 
There's some point in this lifetime that our bodies are going to break down and we are going to die. Human life is perishable. But Peter says, because we have born again to something imperishable, something eternal, because God has done something in my life, in, in, in my life, that we understand, I'm getting too excited here. When we understand that God gave his son for us, that his son Jesus died on the cross to pay the debt that you and I owed, that we are now born into the family of God. And this is a family of God. God is eternal. And if we're born into his family, that is an eternal family, is what he's trying to say. And what's crazy is when I was born into this life, I didn't do anything to be born. Like my, I had nothing to do with it. And the same thing with being born into the family of God. We have nothing to do with it. It's a great mercy and grace of God that we are welcome to be sons and daughters of God. And when we're looking at this and, and Peter's saying, hey, as, as, as all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass, the grass withers, the best, think about the best that a man and a woman can do. Think about the best thing you could do in your life. Think about the best title you could have. You know, the, the greatest job that you could perform. The, the best, uh, the most amount of finances out of everybody. The, the, the biggest bank account, the best self-worth that you could create. All of that is like grass. It looks good for a while, but guess what happens? Yakima has 100 degree weather. And the grass begins to burn, and it withers, and it dies. And that's kind of like our accomplishments. And this is what he's saying. We can invest in the things that are, are in this world that are perishable, but they're going to die. They're going to fade away. In fact, think about this. Does anybody know who the NFL MVP in 2016 was? Anybody? Last year. NFL MVP? Matt Ryan. Right? Matt Ryan? You see the last one, Ben? I think so. How about, how about the NFL MVP in 2006? Anybody know the MVP in 2006? Ladanian Tomlinson? I only know because I Googled it. How about 96? 1996? Brett Favre. There we go. There we go. Brett Favre. <laughs> 1986. That was like 30 years, from, 30 years ago. Nope. Lawrence Taylor. You think about this. You think about the Academy Award winners. Who, are the, who, who was the Academy Award winner 10 years ago? For, for best actor, best actor. I have no clue. And this is kind of like our accomplishments. Where we think, hey, I'm going to be this great something. And guess what? Like we can't even remember the greatest actress 10 years ago. We can't remember who won the award. We can't remember who was the best NFL player 20 years ago. Our accomplishments are like this. They're here and then they're gone. And so many, of us, so many of us spend our, our time and our energy um, striving to achieve things that are so temporary. And this is what Peter's, uh, this is a this is conflict that Peter is specifically, he's writing to people in conflict with the Roman Empire. Peter's writing to people that have been exiled because of the influence of the Roman Empire. Listen, does anybody need encouragement at the Roman Empire today? Anybody having a battle with the Romans? No, no. We're no longer talking about the Roman Empire. It's come and gone. We're talking today, what are we talking about? The Word of God. We're talking today about the Word of God. Empires have been built and destroyed in that 2,000 years since Peter wrote this book. But what are we still talking about today? The Word of God. It is still at work. 
The word of God is still being taught. The word of God is still moving. And this is what Peter's saying. We can invest in all these things that are temporary and they don't last. But we've got something here that is eternal. We've got the word of God. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about this thing. And when you are, uh, because God is eternal, when you are born into the family of God, you become part of something eternal. Instead of you and I fighting for things that don't last, that aren't going to withstand the test of time, they're going to be like every time you mow the grass and the wind blows away the grass clippings. Instead, Peter's saying we need to invest in something that is eternal. And I'll tell you, the only, the only things in this life that you will touch that are eternal, there's only two things in this life that you can touch that are eternal. That is people and that is the word of God. The only two things in this life that you and I can touch that are eternal, the people and the word of God. And Peter's saying, listen, if you've been born into the family of God, you've got to act like it. You've got to act like it. Because if you've been born into the family of God, then you have an eternalist to it. You are no longer perishable. You are imperishable. And because of that, he says, love other people. Love your brothers and sisters the way that dad says, the way that God says to. Love them with compassion on them and, and, and reaching them. And this is how you truly know whether or not you are a Christian. It's how you love people. And here's Peter. Peter saying, well, God, I want to be in heaven with you. Jesus, can I go to heaven with you? And Jesus says, no. No, your job right now is to populate heaven. Your job right now is to love people so they would know the love that I have for them and come into a relationship with me. Peter, your job isn't to be in heaven. You will be in heaven someday. But right now, your job is to populate heaven. And if you're a Christian, that is our responsibility. That is what we're supposed to be doing is loving people around us. So he says, this is what you need to do. If you've been born into the family of God, you need to love other people. And he says in the next verse, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, because of what he just said, because we've been born in the family of God, because we have this command to love people, he says, put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Because of that, because of, of being born into the family of God, because of experiencing his grace, because he's told us to love other people as he has loved us, he says, get rid of these things. Get rid of, of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Tells us to be nice people, to be good people. And I was just thinking, as I was reading through this, I was like, what would he do with this? And I thought, what if we did this? Like, what if we as a church, what if we took this seriously? It's kind of a crazy thought that a church would come together. They would read the Bible and say, you know, let's pretend this is the actual word of God. And let's actually do what it says. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through this list. We're going to go through these five things of, of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And we're going to break them down. And here's what I'm going to ask. When we come to each of these, we come and we'll talk about uh, malice. And, and if, if, if one of you have malice in your life, I'm going to ask you to stand up and raise your... No, actually, we're not going to do that. This is going to be something I'm going to... We're going to go through, and I want you to self-test yourself. We're going to go through each of these things, and I want you to score yourself. And as we go through these, if you have one of these in your life, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. 
I'm going to ask you to get rid of it. As we go through these and we talk about each of these individually, if you see that in your life, today I'm going to ask you to get rid of it. To pray and say, God, God, I have this in my life. God, would you forgive me? God, would you give me the strength I need to, to change this, to change my heart, to get this out of my life? Let's do that. Let's, let's, let's score ourselves. And if we have one of these in our life, let's just ask God to help us get rid of it. So here's where we're going to start. He says, get rid of all malice. I'm like, check, done, because I don't even know what malice is, right? Anybody know what malice is? I'm one, I'm one for one. I don't know about you guys. Well, I, I did a little research. I want to make sure we understand what these words mean. Malice, here's the definition of malice, is the intention or desire to cause harm or ill will to another person. Okay, don't raise your hand if this is you, okay? But do you have uh, an intention or desire uh, to cause harm or ill will to another person? And what Peter's saying is, is, listen, if you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, you're going to love people differently. And he says, get rid of malice. Okay? Let me ask you this. Is there anybody in your life that you would not complain if they got hit by a bus? Okay, don't point. Don't point to them right now. That would not be good. Okay? Is there any ill will in your life towards any specific person? Is there someone that you've got so much resentment, so much anger, so much bitterness towards that you would enjoy seeing them just suffer just a little bit? Okay, this is malice. And I know, I know some of you are saying, well, you don't understand my situation. This person didn't know. No, 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 we're not going to do that. We're not going to go there because I'm going to tell you when I'm starting to have my own life, when I feel that, 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 that bitterness rage in me and I feel that inside my soul, I'm going to tell you what I do. I read Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. So that's when I'm driving and someone, someone cuts me off. I don't do the one finger wave. I don't, I don't sideswipe them off, off the road. I just pray, God, sick them. God, get them. And I let it go. It's no longer on my plate. Now God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Because I know that Jesus says this. And so I just pray, God, I'm giving this to you. And I, in my mind, I believe that that person, all four of their tires are going to go flat. I believe that they're on the way to an interview for a job that they need, and their tires are going to go flat, and they don't get the job because I'm taking it out of my hand, and I'm trusting it to God, that God's going to do and get it done. This is part of us being a Christian, as that we... Instead of taking vengeance into our own hands, we say, God, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving that anger, that bitterness. I'm giving that, that, that desire to cause harm. And God, I'm giving it to you. This isn't us saying, oh, God's going to let them get away with it. No, this is just letting God bring justice. He's going to be so much better at it anyways. In fact, I don't, I don't know about you, I, but this is kind of how I picture heaven working. Yeah, I kind of picture myself in heaven like 2,000 years later. And I'm up there in my mansion and the doorbell rings and I go answer. Actually, I don't answer the door. I've got a servant. 
So Dana goes and answers the door. And uh, there's an angel there with the stacks and stacks of DVDs. And he gives them to Dana. And, and Dana brings them down to my man cave and says, Master, Master. It's, it's, it's my dream. You can't, you can't tell me not to. He says, Master, these were left for you. And I pull one of the DVDs off and there's a little sticky note. And it says, Kevin, vengeance is mine. Thanks for letting me take care of this, God. Now, I don't know that's really the way it's going to work out. Some of you are saying, man, Kevin, you are really a little bit off on that. But listen, it is so good for us to actually live life this way. That we can actually get rid of malice and just give it to God. Say, God, this person has hurt me. They violated me. But listen, God, you're going to be so much better at dealing with it anyways. I mean, isn't this what we try and teach our kids? Like my kids, you know, I'm not going to pick on my kids, but, but kids are so funny because you've got these kids and one does something to the other one, okay? And if that kid would just go and tell mom and dad, like it would be so good for them. But what do they do? They go do it back. And they're like, well, why am I getting in trouble? He, well, no, do you see how that works? And I just picture that with God. Like if we would just say, okay, God, I've been violated. This person hurt me. This person did this. But God, I'm giving them to you. Like who's going to do a better job at bringing vengeance, me or God? Is there someone in your life who may be very deserving, who may be violated you in horrendous ways that you are still holding on to, wishing harm, Wishing that you could see their life come crashing down. Because listen, if that's you, you are holding on to the temporary. You're holding on to the things of this life. And you've got to learn to let go and hold on to the eternal. And today, your prayer needs to be, God, I'm going to give you this person. I'm going to give you this situation. And today, God, I'm going to move on. How are you doing on the first one? You one for one or you oh for one? Second one, he says, get rid of all deceit. Deceit is uh, the action or practice of deceiving someone by concealing or misrepresenting the truth. Is there any dishonest behavior in your life that's meant to uh, fool or trick somebody else? Is there any dishonest finances in your life? Maybe you're just trying to hide a little bit from the IRS. Maybe you're trying to hide a little bit from your employer. Maybe you're trying to hide a little bit from uh, your ex so that way they don't have their hand in it. Is there any area of your life that you are being dishonest in an effort to trick or to fool somebody else? Because as a child of God, there should be no deceitfulness in our life. Listen, I know some of you are in a workplace. And some of you, when you go to work, you're told this is how we do it. This is what we tell people. This is how we operate. And you know in your heart this is dishonest. You know this isn't right. Man, you've got to take that to God. You've got to take that to God and face to face and say, God, as your child, what do I do right here? What do I do in this situation where I'm being told to do this? I'll tell you, that's not an easy situation. So many times we live in this world and we, we, we think we have to hold on to the temporary. 
And what Peter's telling us is, is think about the big picture. Think about the big picture. Because a child of God, there's no deceit in their life. Again, you can hold on to the eternal. You can hold on to the temporary. And live above board. He says, get rid of all malice. Get rid of all deceit. Number three, get rid of all hypocrisy. Hypocrisy means to pretend to be what you are not. It also can mean pretending to believe what you really don't. This is calling yourself a Christian. When you know in your life, it really doesn't show. This is saying, God, you're my advisor. God, you're my genie in a bottle and I I hope you'll bless me. God, you're my whatever. But you know in your heart, you're not going to live under his rule. You're not going to follow his commands. You're not going to do the things that God says to do. That's hypocrisy. That's when we say we're going to call God our God. But the reality of our life, our own thoughts and our desires are really our God that dictate how we live. The things that we want to do, the things that are easy for us to listen to God to, God, God, I'll I'll listen to you there. But there's things that I don't want to do, and so those are the things I ignore. And I just say, well, it's different for me. No, that's called hypocrisy. There are any areas in your life that are not consistent with what you claim to believe. Peter says, get rid of it. Get rid of all hypocrisy. Notice how quiet it's gotten in here. How you doing? What's your record so far? Number four, envy. What do you do with envy? Because envy is not just uh, wanting what somebody else has. Envy is resentful awareness of the advantage that somebody else has and the desire to possess the same advantage. Listen, are you resentful? Are you, are you resentful because of what somebody else has? But at the same time, you want that same thing. Here's Peter saying, hey, you have this new command that you love one another as I have loved you. And listen, how difficult is it going to be for us to love other people when we are resentful simply because they have something and we desire the same thing? How difficult it is, uh, is it going to be for us to love other people when we're holding on to the resentment? Because they've got something that I want. Do you understand how that wars uh, in the eternal person in, in, inside of you? How that when you are supposed to love them, but instead you're resenting them, you have no influence as a child of God. You have no voice into their life because you're holding on to that resentment, that envy. Are there people, are there places, are there things in your life that you are holding on to envy? Number four, slander. Slander means to make false statements that make people have a bad opinion about somebody else. It's called trash talking. I think that's the term that we would use today, trash talking. That's where you've got people in your life, you've got family members, you've got people at work, at your school, and you just trash talk them. That's your boss. Oh, he's just a big jerk. That's other employees that you want to try and, 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 and bring down and talk bad about. So that way somehow you look a little bit better. Somehow you feel better about yourself. So you're going to bring everybody else down because it lifts you up 
higher. He says, listen, as a child of God, you are to love other people. He says, get rid of these things. Get rid of these things. And it's important for us to recognize the flow in which Peter writes this. Because he mentions getting rid of these things after he talks about being born again. The question I was thinking about is, is why? Why does being born again come first? Why does he say love other people and then he says get rid of these things? Because when you are born again, you are, are forgiven. You are a child of God. You have a new identity. Your identity is no longer tied to yourself and, and what you are. Your identity is tied to who Jesus is. And so when you understand the gospel that you are in Christ... That means that there is is nothing you can do to make him love you any more than he already loves you. Do you understand? That's what the gospel means. There's nothing that you can do that would make yourself appear more lovable to God. In fact, there's there's nothing that you can do. uh, Nothing I've done makes him love you any less. Like that is a gospel identity. That there's nothing I can do that will make him love me anymore. And there's nothing I can do that will make him love me any less. That is a gospel identity. And in him, he is all you need for lasting joy. Without the gospel, isn't it impossible for us to love other people? Because if your identity is not tied to the gospel, if your identity is tied in being a better pastor, and being a better husband, being a better father, being the best teacher, being the best whatever it is, if your identity is based on who you are, listen, malice, envy, slander, those things come from a bitterness because other people are competing against the attention and the, the success that you want. So when your identity is tied into things of this world, other people are a threat to your identity. And so that's where envy and, and, and slander and, and, and malice comes from. Because they're a threat to your identity. Deceit comes because you are trying to exaggerate the truth to boost yourself. To show, hey, I am something. My identity is worth it. Hypocrisy comes putting on a show for people. Because you want them to see how good you really are. Look at me. I'm awesome. I'm greater than I really am. And see, when our identity is rooted in the gospel... When we are truly a Christ follower, when our life is redeemed by Jesus, our identity comes from him. Our identity isn't based on other people. It comes from God and allows us to put away these things and it frees us to love people the way that God has called us to love people. This is why he starts and says, listen, you've got to be born again. You've got to come into a relationship with Jesus because when you're in that relationship with Jesus, no longer are people's opinions the thing that matter most. When you have your identity rooted in Christ, the thing that matters is his opinion of you. And he stamped loved, paid in full, redeemed on you. So no longer do you have to have these things in your life to make yourself feel better because your identity is already secured in Jesus. He says, listen, we're going to be judged by how we love, by how we speak towards others, by your attitude towards other people. So he says, love other people. Get rid of these things. And he says in verse 2, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord 
is good. You want to grow as a Christian? You want to grow as a Christian? He says, crave the things of God. Crave the word of God. Take it into your life and let the word of God change you. Get rid of these old things. And he says, grow up into salvation. Now that you've tasted that God is good, you've experienced salvation. He says, this is how you grow. You immerse yourself in the word of God. You crave the things of God. And when you immerse yourself in that, your, cha- your, your desires begin to change. No longer do you crave the temporary things of this world, but now you crave the word of God. And you hear the word of God, and you allow the word of God to change you, and it gets the old things out of your life. Listen, so straight up, here's your homework. Here's your homework for this week. Those five things we talked about before. Those five things, the envy, the slander, the malice, the hypocrisy. Those five things. Before the, before the day ends today, okay, which of those things are still present in your life? I want you to write those down. Man, there's still a little, little bit of malice in my life. There's some hypocrisy in this area. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just pray and say, God, here's, here's one or two of these things. I still have them in my life. God, I'm going to take this. I'm going to take this scripture as the word of God. And today, God, I'm going to ask for your forgiveness. I'm going to take these things, God, and I'm going to give them to you. I'm going to get rid of them. No longer do I want to hold on to these things in my life. God, I'm going to give them to you. These people, this situation, God, I turn over to you. Because I don't want these things in my life. Because I am a child of God. Listen, some of you are going to have to do this prayer daily. Some of you are going to have to do this prayer hourly or or weekly. However often you have to do it. But do it until you can really walk away. Until you can say, I'm going to get this junk out of my life. Because this is how you grow. You hear the word of God. You allow the word of God to change you. And then you go and you do it. That is how you grow. Listen, we've got all sorts of wrong views of how we mature in our faith. Of how we grow in, in Christianity. I mean, sometimes we think, well, uh, my, my spiritual growth will just happen over time. Like, all I have to do is just keep coming to church, and, you know, I'll just grow, and I'll become a mature Christian. I'll grow up. Like, isn't that, is, isn't that going to work? You know, I was having a conversation with, with Jason Webster this week. Jason has uh, been with us for the last year. Uh, he's getting ready to move to Portland. He's going to go to Western Seminary and um, continue his education for ministry. And... Uh, Knowing that he's going to uh, this next season of life, I said, Jason, how are you guys doing? You know, like, like financially. He goes, oh, we're, we're good. We're really good. I said, really? You know, you guys are 23 years old. You know, you, you're going to go to more schooling. And, and I said, how, you guys doing good financially? He's like, oh, I think we're set for life. I'm like, wow, Jason. Like, like tell me about this. And he says, well, you know, Kevin, you know, you've noticed on Thursdays, I get off a little bit early. And I've been, at 3 o'clock, I've been leaving early, and I've been going to, to Banner Bank. I'm like, oh, that's great. So, you know, you're, you're you know, going to Banner Bank. What do they have you? Are you like a teller? Oh, no, no. I, no, I don't do anything there. I'm like, well, are, are you on, are, Jason, you're on the payroll, right? Well, no, no, not really. I'm not really on the payroll. I said, okay. Yet you're secure financially. H- help me understand this. And he says, well, here's what I do, Kevin. Is I go in and they've got the little couch area and I grab a cup of coffee and I sit for about two hours. And about five o'clock, the security guard comes in and says, sir, we're closing. 
and I throw my coffee away, and I go back to my life. And I've been doing this every week for, for, for a while now. And I'm thinking, are you working on your account? Like, do you have money at Banner Bank? Are you, like, doing things with your money? And he goes, no, I don't have any money there. I've just committed. Kevin, I've told you, I've committed two hours every week to being at Banner Bank. And I'm thinking, man, we let you teach in the church? Like, like we let you lead people? Like, that's your solution? I'll just tell you, I made up that story. That didn't really happen, okay? He's not really doing that. Nobody's that dumb. Oh, yes, they are. I mean, how are you growing spiritually? Oh, well, two hours a week, I come to church. I grab my coffee. I sit down. Then I throw my coffee away, and I go back to my life. How many of us, that is our plan for spiritual growth? We come to church. We sit for two hours with our coffee, and then we go home. And we expect to grow spiritually? That's just stupid. And try that with a bank. Try that with the gym. Just go sit in the gym for two hours a day and see if that makes a difference in your, in your, in your body. Listen, I'm not trying to offend some of you. But I hope I offend some of you. Because coming to church with coffee to grow spiritually, I mean, that's just dumb. That's like going to McDonald's every week and saying, I'm going to become a Big Mac. No, you're not. You'll never become a Big Mac. Spiritual growth doesn't just happen. Spiritual growth doesn't happen just by chance over time. Well, some of you say, well, well, okay. Well, spiritual growth, it also comes by how much you know. Like, the more I learn, that means I'm just going to grow. And so I come to church. And not only do I come to church for my two hours of my copy, but I take notes. So I've got a lot of knowledge. And so that equates spiritual growth. That equates maturity. The more you know, you know, there's things are going to continue to get better between me and God. I'd invite you this week, you can write this on your notes, write down Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. There's a story where Jesus is interacting with a guy with a rich, wrong, rich young ruler. He comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? You know what Jesus says to him? He says, you know the commandments, right? The guy says, yes, I know all the commandments. I'm very religious. I know all the commandments. And Jesus, he says, he says, uh, gotta find my notes here. He says, okay, you know all the commandments. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sell all that you have and give to the poor. Go and do it. You know it all. Now just go and do it. The guy says, no, I'm not going to do that. And Jesus says, then get out of here. Until you're ready to actually do what God's word is telling you to do, get out of here. Spiritual growth isn't just knowledge. I mean, we can think it's, it's if, if, if it just happens over time, it just comes because I have a lot of knowledge. Spiritual growth is not either one of those things. Spiritual growth comes when we crave the word of God. And we actually do what it says. I mean, parents, this is, isn't this what you want? You want to tell your kids, hey, here's what I want you to do. And you want your kids to do it the first time. Like, that's what parents want. And that's what God's saying. Crave the word of God and then actually do what it says. See, spiritual maturity is a result of daily decisions. Spiritual gro- growth, it happens when we decide we're going to be in the word of God and we're going to do what it says every day, each day. We don't, we don't open God's word and say, well, you know, I know that's what God's word says, but let me tell you why it's different for me. 
Let me tell you why that doesn't apply to me, because our culture is different than their culture. Oh, well, I don't have to do that because we know better today <coughs> than Jesus did in his day. Or let me tell you why this doesn't apply to me and my situation. Now, that's not going to result in spiritual growth. Spiritual growth happens when we make daily decisions to say, God, I'm going to love people like you've called me to. God, I'm going to get rid of these things in my life. That I hear the word of God and I actually do it. Secondly, spiritual growth, I guess this is fifth. Spiritual growth is measured more by our actions than by our beliefs. We studied James last year. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. It says, how foolish it is, is it us for open up the word of God and not do what it says. It's like a person who stands in front of the mirror. And as soon as they walk away, they forget what they look like. Your spiritual growth will be measured more by your actions than by your beliefs. So here, we're just going to be really practical. And here's the thrust of the message. As a child of God, we're to love other people. As a child of God, it says we're to uh, get rid of these things in our life that prevent us from actually loving people. As a child of God, we're to crave the word of God and we're to do it. So I want to just be really encouraging to you. I was talking to a friend of mine this week. And he's like, yeah, you know, I finished my Bible already. And I'm like, uh, you read it this year? And he's like, yeah. He said, uh, and I'm like, it's June. It just turned June. And you read through the entire Bible already? He's like, yeah, I'm done. I'm like, man, that's awesome. Like, I was going pretty good for a season. And then I kind of slowed down. And I don't know if you're like me, where you kind of get excited in the beginning of the year, then you slow down. So my just practical encouragement to you today is be in the Word of God. Just be in the Word of God. So we, we did this this week. Jason and I did this. Actually, Jason did this. I just printed it and made him assemble them. We've got a couple of these uh, study guides for you to go through. 30 days. Uh, I think this one is, I don't know how many days this one is. There's two study guides for you to follow through. And if you are not in the Word of God right now, would you just pick one of these up and just say, July. There's 31 days in July. Just go through these. One a day. There's even some extra days to catch up on if you miss one. But if, if we're going to be, if we're going to experience spiritual growth, we've got to, to be in the Word of God. We've got to do what it says. So here's my encouragement to you. Read the Bible. Find a plan. Go on, go on the Bible app. They've got all sorts of reading plans. Grab one of these. Follow one of these reading plans. Be in the Bible and say, God, here's what I'm going to read today. And God, I'm going to read something and I'm going to do it because it said it. Just one thing. And say, God, here's what it says. You told me I'm supposed to rid myself of malice. So I'm going to do that today. I'm going to walk through life, and I'm not going to have any malice towards anybody. Because ultimately, if you and I want to grow spiritually, and Peter learned this lesson. Remember that day? Jesus says, a new commandment I have for you, that you love one another. Jesus, where are you going? It took him 30 years. And now he's here, and he's saying, listen, if you and I want to grow up, we want to grow up in our faith. We've got to be in the Word of God. We've got to love people. And we have to allow the Word of God to change us. Can we do that?